Like she's just like, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Like, like you know that that's a very terrifying thing where it's like I'm face to face with someone and they're just like, uh, you know, like, so scary. Um, but then, okay, what's her mo? Like, what's going like, on here? Oh, you're you have a huge knife and you're gonna kill me. Yeah, of motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> What's going on? It's one fucking hour time. I am Evan Husney. This is, of course, the show where we talk about one goddamn movie for one fucking hour. And we got with us to my left, Big T, Tom Fitz G. What's going on, man? How you been? How's your week? Wasabi. (laughs) 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 Keeping it real. And uh, to my immediate right, uh, we have, of course, as always, every week, Mr. Marcus Herring. Marcus, what's going on, man? And as always, Marcus Herring. That's all of that. Thank you. Good to be here, guys. <laughs> of course, man. Welcome back. Welcome back. And returning one fucking hour champion we have here, of course. Uh, anytime we do a real dark and disturbing traumatic <laughs> flick, we got this person yeah. on speed we, dial. Ring. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's ring, ring, Remy. Remy, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Remy, uh, Bennett, everybody. Yes, my presence was requested by Evan, so I... Uh, Is that how it worked? That, that's how it worked. That's how What's it worked. the chicken and the egg here? Like, so... <laughs> like He he, he said, he said I, 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 we need you. I, we want you for this one. I was like, okay, I'm ready. Let's, let's start. Okay. Yeah, cool. that's All it. Right. Cool. That's cool. how it right. <laughs> Well, I knew you were a fan. I knew you liked this movie, and, you know, you got... You got the four one one on the literary side, which we'll get into and all that stuff. So I thought it cool. was and we good. And to... we did bad timing and that was That's right. you know, yeah. there, there's some cool, you know, of course, Rogian through lines. Absolutely. Yeah, and <laughs> what are we talking about tonight, of course? It is episode seventy three, of course, a thematic tie in to the year nineteen seventy three that we are covering as part of the summer series thing we're doing. And tonight's gonna be one fucking hour on Nicholas Rogue's uh don't look now and uh this is our our third rogue film we've covered on the podcast we've done walkabouts in the archives bad timing is in the archives um as ramey said and so you know he we're big fans of this director uh-huh. he's ripe for well, a one fucking hour deep and this probably won't be the last you know no yeah. no no, no. We, we still got performance a few to, more uh, get <laughs> to, of man who yeah. fell to earth oh that's yeah right. Jeez, for real. Man. yeah he is he's ripe for deep dives that's for sure um, so that'll be tonight's episode and, uh, real quick before we kick things off, just want to give a quick shout out to, uh, the Patreon, the one fucking hour Patreon. Uh, it's the best way to support the show. Patreon.com slash one fucking hour, just $5 a month to subscribe. And you can get, uh, the exclusive access to the one fucking hour audio commentary tracks. We've been recording DVD style classic DVD style audio commentary tracks to a wide range of fucking movies. We put a poll up uh, last week, which y'all voted on. We love polls. I love polls. We do. (laughs) (laughs) And um, the flick you all chose was David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Uh, That might be up by the time that this episode is up or uh, shortly thereafter. But uh, yeah, so we'll have an audio commentary track. Feature length yes. to Blue Velvet. To Blue Velvet. And I, I really want to thank everybody out there for voting not for Little Man. Uh, you've, <laughs> no. officially, you've officially saved this podcast from itself. Yes. 
because we were close <laughs> to doing uh, a full commentary on Little Man, the Wayne brothers. brothers, and uh, yeah. you saved us from ourselves. Like you talked yeah. about. Now we blood. only have to do one fucking hour on it. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Right. That have. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. You haven't completely escaped uh, your Little Man yeah. fate, uh, listeners. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, Blue Velvet, not a bad movie, yeah. right? Not at all. That'll be great to get into. So if you want to hear that. Uh, sign up on patreon.com slash one fucking hour or if you like uh, we're also going to be doing the YouTube subscription as well too both of those will work you can go to either either one and you can get the commentaries that way um, you can get early access to the um, to the uh, each episode either way it's the same thing patreon.com slash one fucking hour or subscribe to the mm-hmm. channel through YouTube same damn deal um, all right guys I think we should get right into this um, fire it up I'm going to start up the clock here. And while I do, you know, one thing that you said, Tom, just before I hit go on the clock is, um, you know, it's kind of understood that with this show, you should have seen the movie. These are spoiler heavy uh, hours we get into. I mean, you can make your own choice. We don't judge if you want to watch and without seeing it, go for it. But we're going to be diving pretty, you know, this is kind of a special movie that you may want to see, uh, not knowing exactly everything, uh, you know, before you go into it. Just wanted to. Get that yeah. out there because it's a special heads up. Yeah. Heads if you up can, it's it. recommended uh, normally yeah. and especially with this film because it, yeah. it'd just be that much more rewarding, uh, whatever the value of this stupid podcast and, you know, the, of course, the film too. Yeah. So just a little thought, you know, yeah. out there. And this might even be one of those movies where you might want to watch it like two or three times <laughs> before, you know, you get That's into true. The, <laughs> yeah. That is true. So yeah. hit pause, watch the movie three times, and stay Candyman in the mirror yeah, three times. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. All right. So here we go. We got uh, one fucking hour on Don't Look Now. Here we go. And boom. All right. So here is first before we uh, get into the thick of it here. Just for the folks at home, here is the synopsis, a little background on the film. Um, In what is surely the best don't movie ever made? Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Tom's like, maybe. (laughs) Well, there's uh, Don't Look Back. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. Mm. All right. Well, it depends on your preference. It's one of them. It's one of them. (laughs) Nicholas Rogue's Don't Don't Look Now. That's right. (laughs) Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now is adapted from the 1971 short story by Daphne du Maurier. Uh, Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland portray Laura and John Baxter, a married couple who travel to Venice following the recent accidental death of their daughter, Christine, after John accepts a commission to restore a church in Venice. Uh, They encounter two sisters, one of whom claims to be clairvoyant and informs them that their daughter is trying to contact them and uh, warns them of danger. John at first dismisses their claims, but starts to experience mysterious sightings himself. Uh, so that's probably the simplest way to describe the movie. Um, but it is, you know, this sort of obtuse. I mean, we're getting into 73 here. Movies that are coming out in the multiplex are in, injecting a lot of these experimental techniques and mm-hmm. uh, new tricks learned from Europe and so on and so forth. And Tom, mm-hmm. you were saying earlier before we started to record that this movie sort of feels like a hip take on gothic uh, ghost stories, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. Just like I said, yeah, it's just kind of an interesting, odd thing. Uh, there aren't many examples of it, but uh, to employ, I would just say generally new cinema techniques, uh, you know, new American cinema, you know, like uh, foreign film influence, you know, uh, you know, Antonioni influenced uh, filmmaking in general, so to speak. Um, and also even like literature, you know, um, and to have a film director tackle, uh, 
a, a pretty classic genre with its, you know, all of its own tropes and, uh, you know, predictable, enjoyably predictable kinds of, uh, you know, um, uh, details. Uh, it's great to see that subversion of such classic material in such a classic place, you know, old Europe. Yeah. And uh, to see like such experimental techniques is a really, um, it, it only makes it wilder. And that's what's great. Like just, and I'll shut up, but just like the example I mean is like performance is um, new on new, <laughs> like performance is, is structurally as a narrative is nuts, uh, you know, and then it's nuts on top of nuts in telling a new <laughs> yeah. nutsy story and this you is you know what i mean it's just it's a ghost tale but it's told like very strange 1973 mm. you know hardcore style so i love that it's very unique i think yeah and yeah i think, I think also oh sorry go ahead no, no, i was gonna say the idea too of reinventing those genres is interesting reinventing the ghost tale to to kind of tell that allegory you know so we talked about like the theme of like trauma for instance like you know it's I feel like it's a new era where we're seeing a ghost film through a different lens and mm -hmm. in, in, in that way. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's also like kind of in a way it's like ghost maybe, but it's also like psychic, you know, so you yeah. sort of the psychic 70s, I guess, you know, like I, it feels more like telekinetic psych psychic powers than it does ghosty to me but you know i don't well i just mean ghost story as a shorthand for like you know classic and then the old lady walked in and then the <laughs> howling wind came up you know it, it's That's it's definitely there it's yeah. the trappings is all i'm saying but then well, it's like hard experimental like editing right. styles and stuff it's so cool yeah mm -hmm. well to kind of piggyback on what marcus was saying i i in how 70s kind of the idea of you know, psychics, clairvoyance, things like that. I guess there just was this thing in this movie, you know, stars Donald Sutherland and he, you know, <laughs> wanted to make the film, but he had some reservations on how uh, the depiction of clairvoyance uh, in the script, he felt it was handled too negatively, you know? So, no. so at the <laughs> Donald time... Donald Sutherland said that? Yeah, so wow. like at the time, wow. you know, he was a little open to these sort of things. And I think that was wow. maybe a little more in the air at the time. The right? film to attract any bad... Juju, there you yeah. go. Yeah, that energy. Well, also, Rogue, <laughs> right, right. like when we talked about bad timing, there's things with Rogue where he has this bizarre, almost like cosmic touch on the things that the work that he makes. Like, there's always like bizarre coincidences and serendipitous. That's right, right. You know, it was like with Art Garfunkel and things that happen in people's yes. real lives, mirroring things that happen in the movies. And in I think timing. that he is a bit of a magician. I think he was a bit of a magician. And yeah. then it, it kind of shows up in his work and people who participate in those films always say that the experience huh. of making the film had something right. kind of super. We definitely about sensed it. that and, and broke it down with the bad timing. There was some bad juju going on there. That's true. Definitely. So yeah. I guess maybe Donald two... was aware of uh, like like what he was what Rogue was playing with, you know. Right. Well, yeah. it doesn't. It's funny because it doesn't seem that negative because it seems like the whole point of the movie is like don't don't ignore those instincts. You know, true. don't ignore that. Yeah. Those, those, Very you know, true. Listen to your well, listen he, to yourself. Yeah. To sort of clarify, he, he he thought that there could be ways for the characters to benefit from this power of ESP and 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 not be something that they're ultimately destroyed by, which of course you could make an argument for in this movie. But Classic um, I love it. Yeah, and, he, <laughs> and Rogue yeah. said too that the only two people he would ever cast in this was Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland, oh, and initially <laughs> they both had conflicts right in their schedules. And then it was like this, he said it was like a mysterious thing right as like, you know, the mm. film was coming up to shoot. Like they, it just, it all worked out. And it was yeah. like this really cosmic thing where these two people were met. And he said good, like, they, good you know, timing. They were at the 
yeah good, good timing, timing. <laughs> um right right but yeah um, we go, should yeah. we talk about the beginning of the film well, and- yeah yeah no uh, yeah no of course i was just gonna say i mean um uh, as a transition into that i think um one of the characteristics of uh nicholas rogue's films that we really like and we we talk at length about in the previous episodes we've done is obviously in the editing you know the editing is very unique yeah. it's very cutting edge cutting edge of uh, what they're doing <laughs> and um you know, most movies, most Hollywood movies especially, try to um, disguise their editing. You know, the idea is to kind of not draw attention to it. It's this thing that, you know, um, it, it you, we're sort of hiding that part of the craft uh, most times, you know, leading up to this point. And, um, but, you know, of course, with Nicholas Rogue, maybe being somewhat informed by Hitchcock, you know, who's more of that sort of purist cinema approach, and of course, which would be pushed even farther with the French New Wave, and now into the 70s, there's a much more freer experimentation that I was talking about in the mainstream. And so with with his work, he's deliberately making audiences conscious uh, of these edits and these cuts yeah. and making it and, and making them deliberately more aware of how important each edit is uh, to the actual right. storytelling itself. Well, in a way, you need to change the term, you know, uh, from editing to uh, montages, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like uh, yeah. the, de- the death scene at the very end when Sutherland's killed by the dwarf. Um, <laughs> there's no continuity as far as time or place whatsoever. Like right. you're seeing like another nation or another continent, another it's daylight, you know, another person, a person who's dead, you know, like something that maybe didn't even happen, something in the future. And that's just really bold and wild. And and that is a kind of editing, like you're saying, it's like not even the right term. It's like, it's a montage and it goes back to maybe even, we're trying to think of like, um, you know, previous pioneers, but like even like uh, Kenneth Anger actually, like it gets sure. as fractured as like um, yeah. the editing logic, quote unquote, of like invocation of my demon brother. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, skull, cat screaming face naked person and it's like yeah it's not exactly like you know telling telling you story like walking you down the street you know yeah <laughs> giving you a narrative understanding so and that's where rogue comes from and, he, and he's very masterful yeah. at it in my opinion and he does weave it into narrative stories which is very yeah, yeah and i think it's here. it's it's so reflective of the way that he sees the world because he always said when people asked him about the editing he's like well you know life is not linear life is sideways and so the, in the same way we talked about the idea of memory and bad timing like the yeah. way we look at our lives it's completely a mosaic right so it's it is a fragment our perception is fragmented our memories are fragmented everything is like through a glass darkly and so he it's almost like his and his films are very in a way once you watch them a few times they're very easy to follow because it almost mirrors the way that your brain would work once you're grasping the subconscious of the characters, you know? So like once you're understanding that Donald Sutherland is, is having kind of these, these mosaic prophecies, you, when you go back and watch it, 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 yeah. It really unfolds like you're inside this person's like you, sort of you've been to that mind. landscape. You've been to that psychic, not psychic. Yeah. You've been to that psychological landscape. That's so a little more orientation because at first you're like, where am I? Like disoriented, right. you know? Yeah, that's true. Right. And that's very much the case. We were talking about a lot this a lot in bad timing, you know. And it works. Like, uh, and it works kind of so well because he he also uses these visual metaphors that are kind of helping you along the way. Like for Christ's sake, you said mosaic. What's he doing yeah. in this fucking movie? He's working on a mosaic, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like you know, yeah, like I know. It, it works like that in a lot of ways. I mean, he is like giving you these not abstract visual metaphors. 
he's 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 sort of letting you you know capture into motifs of red and motifs of breaking glass and of water yep. and these things mm-hmm. that you you know are going to come back around again and they're signifiers to be like to pay attention and to know that they're significant to bring the mean you know, bring a lot of weighted meaning to them each time they return so he's doing it in a way that i think is not totally abstract like a hard experimental no. filmmaker he's doing it in a very accessible way it doesn't feel yeah. like it's 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 a series of images and it's it's his it's his own sort of visual made up alphabet or language or whatever and everything you're saying right now you're talking about the components that are throughout the feature film yeah you can see all of it in the first seven minutes you know yeah you know like it's they're all premiered in a cluster together and then they all kind of explode and spray out throughout the entire film Water, right glass, and everything's introduced like you said right away like all the all the themes are introduced the the overall sort of feeling of doom and and tragedy is like you you're confronted with that right away in such an extreme way that it sets the tone for the rest of the movie and the idea that um you know you're introduced to the relationship and then you're seeing how something so cataclysmic happens that then that does create a fracturing you know like where like you know when it when a when a child dies suddenly like that suddenly yeah the, the relationship that you knew doesn't exist anymore and it be and like we talked about earlier like both people's perceptions of that experience are completely different and it's so interesting because when uh julie christie's on the couch you know before we see the death happen with the little girl drowning he she's going through a book and he's like oh what are you doing and she's like oh i'm trying to answer a question you know that our daughter was asking us and she the question was basically like well if the world is round why do ponds freeze over flat? Mm-hmm. And so she was trying to look it up. And, and I was like looking at the book that she was like looking at the cover and the cover is called Beyond the Fragile Geometry of Space. Wow. Beyond the... Fra- <laughs> and so it's like basically... Love then that he book. Gets, and then, yeah, great book. And <laughs> oh, then Sutherland gets up and he goes like, well, nothing is what it seems. Nothing is what it seems. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like right off the bat, like we're presented it's a short film of the the whole film right Right. yeah my favorite little detail on that was just in the production uh i saw an interview with rogue where he's talking about they had to because he's delivering sutherland is delivering such a like pinnacle like overarching line there that it was really hard to get it they had to do 30 takes to get it because you could see how it could go so wrong you know as as it seems you know, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. ways to like, like read that wrong. Like it right. could be like heavy handed if it was like sure. delivered right. in the wrong and way. And he does just toss it away yeah. in, a, in a great way. Wow. You know, like it's text, almost like a little throwaway. Yeah. And you have to be absolutely like, you have to that, or else you know? the audience is going to be like, wait, no, you know, I know it's, like, it's, gotta, it's it, on the page. It looks so loaded, you know, right. Yeah. For a film about compare that to the Matrix. It's like, want to see how deep the rabbit hole goes? You know what I mean? Like, right, right, right. Come a little bit one fucking hour. Um, but what and I was going to say, oh, sorry, I was just oh, going to say, go I was just going to say just to kind of open it up, you know, about this opening set piece we keep talking about. I mean, it is the scene in which it's the most important scene in the movie in many ways, but it also is the most important for these two characters because it's really communicating the loss of the accidental death of their daughter. And um, I think what makes it kind of hard to talk about in our format here is because so much is kind of laid out that's mysterious and unanswered um, the first time you watch it in this sequence because there's a lot of disjointed 
edits. There's a lot of flash forwards. There's a lot of, um, you know, sort of call and response, if you will, like in terms of the imagery. And so it's hard to talk about just what the imagery is without talking about, you know, what happens later in the film. So it's kind of difficult to talk about one scene when you kind of have to talk about four at the same time um, because they keep getting referenced (laughs) in this, you know, opening and later on in the movie. Um, but the first thing you see uh, in, in, in the opening of the film is the Paramount logo, of course, duh. And then right out of that, you see the image of the pond, which, of course, has uh, a ton of meaning. That's the place, obviously, where you know, their daughter accidentally dies. But it shows that beautiful image of the rain on the pond. But, of course, that's out of the chronology of the film because that's actually technically a f- a flash forward to when they after the daughter has died and that's when they're really yeah because yeah. that's that yeah. that's I didn't that's, catch that. that's when they leave england um to right. go to venice there's that scene which we'll talk about later but so that's first out of chronology that first shot and then so um and, and we zoom yeah. into the pond we see the title shot the title of the movie and then of course we open with uh the girl in the red raincoat christine and then she's pushing the wheelbarrow and then we see the brother riding the bike <clears throat> and then she then smashing she the, the glass that's right smashing the glass as it leads yeah of course into you know um which glass does become a motif later on is kind of the warning sign of something bad Definitely. shit's gonna fucking happen well, you know what's you know what's not unlike uh, glass is water, mm-hmm, yep, <laughs> and even frozen water, you know. Yeah, and then mirrors and reflections. So there's all yep. of that stuff right mm-hmm. off the bat. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then and double because so- doubles. Then the idea of doubles comes back. So it's like you see mm-hmm. Christine's reflection also in one of those shots right. where she's walking, oh. and it's really yes. cool. You see like that double, and then of yeah. course later on the evil, you know, dwarf is like a. It's gruesome double of her. Grotesque like, version of her, gr- her kid. Right, yeah. and then the, the twins. I, are, yeah. There's just one thing that um, there, there is sort of a, you know, it's kind of a d- idyllic. Like what I'll say is like at the very beginning in, in the house, that is sometimes I'm like, God, I want to live like that. Oh, yeah. I want to <laughs> sit in front of a roaring fire yes. and like be working on my like, you know, my long-term project in <laughs> <laughs> churches. You yes. Know? And it's like the afternoon in England. Anyway, so that's kind of idyllic for a second. And I was actually thinking about Blue Velvet, you know, the film that we're going to be doing soon, you know, in wow. context. Yeah. Well, in this way where it's like kind of idyllic in that way, of course, it's Americana, it's white picket fence, but it's idyllic, but then it starts twisting and getting all destroyed in uh, Blue Velvet, what I'm saying. And the equivalent for me in Blue Velvet uh, is, or the, the comparison I'm saying, is um, the tightening and, and the twisting of the... Um, when he's watering the lawn and the uh, the uh, the yeah. hose is tightening and mm-hmm. it's tensing and he's like I guess having a stroke or something. Yeah. yeah. But in, but in the film, what I'm saying is is that like you know the kids rides over the glass, but it the um, the bike gets a flat or something, and he's like struggling to figure out like what where the flat is. So like he's not having a great time. Like something's something immediately is like clouding like this idyllic moment, and there's sort of this tension. And I know the tension of having a flat tire, you know. So like, does anybody know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like there's something increase. going on inside, and there's something outside that's like there's a darkness that's brewing a little. Things bit. are like ticking some, up. Yeah. Yeah. And he spills and then, the the drink on the slide. Right. right. The water spills all. Yeah. And then you and the, see the blood on the picture. And the little boy has a cut too, right? Right. Like when the uh, his, his sister drowns or whatever, but he's like, he's like, I cut my finger, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think the but, idealized thing too, Tom, you're talking about, like that was so intentional because Rogue had said 
one of the reasons he cast the two of them as well and with the love scene later on is that he wanted to show like no matter how loving and pure and romantic and idealized like a couple can be at the penultimate mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. you lose a child and have that kind of grief it it will tear you apart like no matter yeah. who you are and like yeah. how perfect that you yeah. it's just so. crushing a happy home because it does yeah. seem like they're they're highly functional people yeah who are in a loving relationship that's yeah. true you know? yeah and they, absolutely and, and they're scarred it's it's the whole film is about trauma that really is the word and it's it's the scarring and we were talking about uh, and as we maybe, maybe go through the picture now, or do you want no, to keep going? Yeah. No, no, hang on, because oh, I, I also want to just talk about <clears throat> like this idea, you know, of the glass breaking. Like I, that is kind of a trope of to me, like when you see a psychic clairvoyant scene in any movie, you know, you 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 do see like glass breaking is kind of one way of showing that in cinema. And and um, with this scene, especially on the second rewatch, after you've seen it the first time and you go back and you watch it again, you start to notice that Donald Sutherland's character is is basically, you know, clairvoyant and he's seeing he's he's anticipating yes. what is happening yes. to his daughter. Like, you know, you see the shot yeah. of the daughter running and then it immediately cuts back to Donald Sutherland having an inkling that something is wrong. And you might miss that mm-hmm. on a first watch right. because he acts yeah. like he saw it out the window, but he just saw yes. it in his head. And don't the sisters just explicitly say? One they of the sisters do say that, says yeah. to the others, like, he's got the gift. He has the gift. Well, that's why the child was trying to talk to him. He has the gift. Or whatever. Yeah. What, what did she say? <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, he's got says. the gift. That's a, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Here yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. seem to accept it or, like, realize it or something, right? I think because that's I mean, the main theme of the film. Sort of, uh, absolutely. Yes, exactly. But you even he see him sort of, like... You know, like she's trying, uh, Julie Christie's trying to get him to come over to like the seance or just visit with the women or something. And he's just sort of like, no. Like you can see he's sort of, he's so dismissive. Mumbo jumbo. He's almost sort of like, no, he's almost sort of like already, you know, he's so experienced with psychic phenomenon. He's like, well, uh, you know, he can rationalize how it's, you know, that it's, that it is real or like there's some reasoning behind it that's not really psychic powers or whatever. Because he's he's just a modern person who, isn't yeah. buying all this superstition he's the dividing line between you know the age of reason and and superstition and, and sometimes people who are so steeped in modern 20th century thinking just like doesn't even want to consider these goofy customs you know and and belief systems because they're so far from science and all the things that are mm-hmm. aiding us it's just helping interesting us to have somebody that that is experiencing those and still denying well it. i think that's he so weird it. that's I mean, what i want so to I talk like, about the theme is about like acceptance because it's it's like as much as he's pretending he's accepting for instance the death of christine he's not truly accepting it and like and julie christie is throughout through that spirituality actually finds like freedom and like peace by accepting it and so he's like part of the doom that he's facing he's in denial twice yeah yeah you know, but it's he's in denial of the event and he doesn't like really let it in like she does her the child's death. But then also that he has this gift and yeah. that's the whole friction. It's it's a very strange, interesting, mm-hmm. like, uh, say, like archetypal characterization. You know, I was just going to say, I can't think of another time yeah. where you see a movie about a psychic who doesn't really ever realize their own ability. You know, it's this he's idea dismissive of it. He's Denying dismissive it. and doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't realize it and um is skeptical yeah. of it you know and um usually but it's course, like a secret that they're trying to keep from everybody else yeah 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 can we talk about the scene in the in the cafe yeah because like sure. in relation to this very thing because 
when they when they're having their when when it cuts to them having that first like sort of lunch in Venice together, mm-hmm. and there's something so interesting going on, especially when I watched it this time, where you see the two sisters for the first time right behind them at the table, and he's sort of like he clocks them in this way that like mm-hmm. there's an he's clocking them on this like on Bad almost like a psychic. She's seeing like that her husband's slightly distracted, like, and yes. uh, what? Hello? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's so funny because the opening of this short story is don't look now. There's two women behind us who are hypnotizing me. And so that that's the opening line. That's where the title of the movie yeah. came from. So yeah. there's just something like where he can sense it. And then the, the, the woman with the, the blind woman who's psychic, mm-hmm. they're having these connections. And so oh, when you watch that whole scene play out, like we, I was just like, yo, pause it here, pause it. Like, it's so uh-huh. cool. Cause like when he, when she goes to the bathroom and um, Julie Christie's Helps. in the mirror, another yeah. cool like it's moment great. of like all these great fractured visual. images, oh, right? Yeah. The woman is seeing all of a sudden like the pond. And while he's at the table thinking like, so it's like, it's almost like they're sharing thoughts in, in a way. Yeah, the way then, that it, yeah, the the way that it plays out specifically because it's it's really interesting. So when yeah. we learn that she's blind, uh, when it's explained by the other woman to Julie Christie that 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 her um, sister is blind, we see the shot of the old woman in the three separate pieces of glass. It's a great just frame, great awesome. Awesome scary shot, too. super scary. Yeah, totally. And then it cuts back to Donald in that moment, and then he gets a pang. Because he's looking out the window and sees water. And, yeah. uh, of course, there's that visual motif. The wa- It's going to keep coming back to the water. And I'm sure... Traumatized by that perspective exactly. of water. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And so reminding him of his daughter. But then, again, like this subconscious style of editing that we love with Nick Rogue. Then it goes back in time to the day they left England after the uh, oh, their see. daughter has yeah. died. And so they're in Got the car. It. It's raining. That's mm-hmm. the p- rainwater on the pond. They're depressed. They're grieving. And then it cuts again to the pond. And then it cuts back to the clairvoyant woman. We, she almost kind of fades in. Her eyes like fade in over the water. And then um, mm-hmm. she sees the drowning. And then she knows what has happened. But it's great because it starts with sort of a vision that Donald has, and then it kind of winds up on the end with a vision. The blind woman's like, like you were saying, they're sharing this sort um, of that's vision, which is which is. I gotta, really re- cool. I gotta rewatch that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's I really cool. one. It's it's interesting as an audience member that like you know you're following it from Sutherland's perspective, <laughs> and just the way that the story is laid out, like. I was skeptical that that there was that they had psychic powers, or you know, and I was thinking like, mm. yeah. are they out to get them? Are they con artists? Are they? Is it like a? Is it going to be a coven of witches? You know, whatever. You yeah. know, like the, you're, you're kind of wondering. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Suspiria or, remake, <laughs> or like people who are gonna, exactly. so or good. like pe- people who are, oh god, or like people <laughs> who are gonna who are gonna take advantage of grieving people, you know, in some way. Yeah. Like I could see that they do exist. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. Totally. And, and so but, it's cool that you are as an audience, like you are constantly skeptical of like, oh, it's weird because every character has that. We're like, even like the detective, there's something weird about him. The woman in the bathroom who's sitting there has this creepy look. Like every person they pass mm-hmm. on the street who opens a window. Yes, yeah, kind of right. wrong yeah. with them. Yeah. It could be a conspiracy against him, right? Because like the, the police is like, the officer's like kind of disinterested in the case, doesn't believe him that he saw right. his wife. You know, he, well, he never really buys the story. You know? Yeah. And, yeah, right. And then the uh, the the priest, the cardinal, whatever he's dealing with, is like pretty dismissive of the whole thing. Doesn't seem too interested in like 
You all seem very European to me. (laughs) In general, (laughs) European attitude. Like, it's my day off. No, (laughs) I have a lunch. Very European. Yeah. Can I bring up one thing about editing technique, Evan? Just a little insert because, again, we love his editing. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I noticed that he was really getting into cross dissolves in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe more, maybe the same, but maybe more, I think, of like bad timing and like performance. Because, um, you know, we talked about the hard cuts so much, and I love his hard cuts, you know, the kind of Kenneth Anger hard cuts. Like the ending montage is all hard cuts when he's being murdered, yeah. you know? Yeah. But there's a lot of cross dissolves. Like you just described that incredible succession of cross dissolves. But mm-hmm. just one example, there's a cross dissolve of um, somebody throwing something into the into the canal and it splashes really hard with water and then it cuts to like something like he's wearing a red sweater or something and it cross dissolves rather slowly from the water that you're seeing splashing and then it cuts to a or excuse me it fades to him with like a bit of red in his sweater does anybody remember this and it and of course that looks just like in an indirect way the daughter submerged yeah. underwater yeah yeah, like, yeah. Right. it was a cross dissolve yeah. it wasn't hard cutting and it was like yeah. I, I think he was really exercising the slow dissolves more in this one yeah and they're, mm-hmm. they're killing totally it, it, it works they're thematically cool. so well i mean you know because obviously we're talking about visions we're talking about things people are seeing it helps link to those things and of course how there's so much visual again i go back to it these motifs these sort of things seeds that are planted early on that are paid off all throughout the movie but that also mm-hmm. works for the emotional resonance of the characters too because they're seeing you know traumatic patterns in everything as well too they're seeing things that remind them of the day their daughter died so it works on like 40 different levels which is Mm -hmm. and so so brilliant that it's in venice like i mean it's like you know the the girl dies in the water and this is where you choose to go to clear your head it's a place surrounded by water you know no streets but canals yeah yeah and so it's like canals are the beast streets. It's yeah. also there's it also works on like a totally bizarre, just purely like psychological, like dream like logic level too, that like they're kind of it's like they're just they're trapped like within mm-hmm. their own psyches in this labyrinth. Mm. You know, because it's also labyrinthian where they're mm-hmm. they keep on getting lost. And, and like Venice. part of the you know, <laughs> and is, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the re- it is Venice, but it's yeah. also like they're lost within their own grief they're lost with and how to come out of it and it's mm-hmm. surrounded by those memories yeah mm-hmm. and we don't get to see the beauty of venice either yeah you know? it's always overcast you know yeah. uh, we're, not, we're not seeing all the sites that we go to a couple churches but they are being repaired you know they're yeah. falling apart they're decrepit yeah. yeah yeah and no, that it feels like old dying europe yeah it does it feels like european decay yeah and i think we talked about old dying europe with bad timing actually. We did. exactly yeah we did and yeah. Uh, yeah. you know he he yeah. loved that and I, I'll say just one other thing too about Rogue's loca- locations are right. interesting to me because obviously Walkabout is a grand you know location for him and he does a beautiful yeah. job with it. But then like what I really love is this foreigner going to like the um, the, the south southwestern America in a lot of Man Who Fell to Earth and he's really killing it there. Yeah. But I do love him. Uh, I think he really flourishes in like decaying Europe. I think he's his soul is there kind of. Yeah. You know? Nice yeah, to see sure. Sure. Um, and the gothic element as well. It's like it's it, there, right. it, there is something so it's like it's there there is the romance, but then there is the sort of like yeah, the decay. And and yeah. this and that scene at the end with the fog and the you know. And, and and you know, it's in a way if you look at it, it is the the home of irrational superstition of the West. <laughs> you know, so much of it gestated in the, this part 
of the world, you yeah. know, like, you know, like, like Malocha, evil you know, eye. Whatever, yeah. like the evil eye, that's yeah, what yeah. I'm saying, you know, um, and so like, it's unlike Arizona is all I'm saying. Real know? quick, yes. just to put a bow on that scene we were talking about, about the shared vision, just real quick, and then we'll move on is uh, so that's the point, of course, where the clairvoyant woman is, you know, proclaiming, I've seen your little girl. And um, and then, of course, uh, Julie Christie's her character is like, holy shit. And then it, it leads into another really great little touch of style where she's walking back to the cafe table. And then you just have that like, I don't know, a synth high pitched synth note that just ramps up really slow. And you're not sure why it's kind of like that tightening of the uh, of the hose you were talking about. And then all of a sudden she just collapses in slow motion. Slow motion, um, yeah. On the cafe, and it's a beautiful 70s Great. moment, of course, because we're going to make really the is. salad dressing look psychedelic, yeah. you know, as it's falling. Yeah, yeah, totally. And shit, and, you know, it's yeah, just, it's, it's great. Like, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's and... A great- and, and, and Oh, oh the sound moment. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. This is a great sound moment. And there are all these great little musical moments. I don't know how I feel about the score overall, you know, but there are yeah. these great musical moments like at the beginning with the the piano uh sounds like someone learning the piano how to yeah. play or like uh, yeah. that that theme comes through at the end that sounds more like a f- sad kind of funeral and it is a pretty melody and yeah. uh yeah the, the big moment at the beginning when he's holding his daughter Yeah. One of those great there, Donald like... Sutherland screams. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, like he's, he's moaning got that in him. He's <gasps> moaning, right? He's just, moaning yeah, totally. throughout this whole movie. He's like he when he's dangling on the w- rope. When he's dangling about, about to fall. Oh. 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It chills me. Um, it gets yeah, to the yeah. core. He does. Yeah. Yeah. But again, yeah, Donald Sutherland fun. plus the music. Yes. Together, they make a good. Yeah, team. they do. They do. That's <laughs> no, a great. You brought it up. It's a great yeah. voice, you know. And, and the eight, yeah. I think uh, Rogue did pick up on that. Rogue also is killer with sound. And like, there's this whole, you know, that's one of the um, signifiers that it's sort of the new kind of cinema mm-hmm. is to value sound as as being another component. Yeah. You know, of course, yeah, David yeah, Lynch yeah. took that to the bridge, and uh, mm-hmm. but I think Rogue is an early adopter mm-hmm. of like, hey, guess what? Isn't half of film sound? You know. Yeah. And he clearly uh, valued it, and it's very prevalent in performance, but it's also and, and walkabout all that all those fucking movies, you know. But yeah. um, it's it's beautifully done here um, if, because he's also uh, jumping around in time and space sonically too, somewhat, you know. Totally. Maybe this would be a good time just to kind of bring it up. Um, you know, we talked, we, we we teased it a little bit, but just in terms of the actual themes, like what is this movie really about, or you know what is all this style and service to, right? Mm. And of course, it's really the idea of, yeah, examining the concept of grief and the idea of, you know, grief being the, I think uh, Nicholas Rogue was intrigued, that, you know, by the idea of grief uh, or, or of, of making grief into the sole thrust of the film. Like, that's what it's all about, you know, and how grief can separate people. Even the closest, healthiest relationships uh, can come undone, you know, through the grief and the passing of uh, some, you know, of a child. Something is traumatic. Yeah, I think specifically that. of a child too. Yeah, like, I feel like yeah. this. It's very specific to that, which, which is probably the like. I mean, 
there's nothing that nothing worse that could happen to a human being. You know, and I think yeah, like right. being a parent and like that, it's so funny because Stephen King was really influenced by uh, Daphne du Maurier. Oh. And I could really sense that watching this movie because mm. it reminded me, first of all, like a lot of The Shining, obviously, I'm sure, sure he stole a lot of that, those ideas. Yes. Uh, psychic just, stuff. Yeah, the like, psychic stuff and, and like having yeah. like, it's like tremors. toast. Yeah, yeah. And like and having right. those sort of weird premonitions and how Danny will have the dreams and then he goes into like a seizure, like like the woman yeah. or you yeah. know, wow. and then the, the twins, like the twins girls totally. and you totally. know, so there's a lot and, and the landscape and the place itself is kind of haunted. Yes. And yeah. you're and you're trapped. Mm. Like it, he's yeah. trapped in his own psyche. The hedge Jack maze. Lawrence is also in his own psyke. And they're in the maze. Totally. Yeah, in the maze. Dude, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it does seem like Stephen King really took the psychic thing and like ran wild with it. Yeah, in ghost stories, you know. So yeah, but even with uh, Pet Cemetery, this reminds me mm -hmm. a lot of Pet Cemetery because, like, the book Pet Cemetery. I'm a huge fan of that book. Oh, like, huge amazing. fan of that book. Like, breaks my heart to such an extent. I read it many times, but it makes me cry so much because it's like it's that feeling of like you can't. There's you can't go back like when something like that happens to you when you lose a child and like the whole book is about a father like trying to bring mm -hmm. his son back right, but then right. because of that it becomes a monster and yeah, so so right. he's chased in this movie donald sutherland's character is chasing the little girl who he believes somehow is his daughter and in yeah. the in the short story he's actually trying to save her because he thinks she's in trouble because she keeps on jumping over boats and stuff mm -hmm. and so he's actually trying to save this little girl and then seem like he like didn't save her too, right because he didn't save, he didn't her, save her, her first time and he has right. guilt about the fact that he let them play by the pond and he has this guilt and so like sure. a lot of the movie is about him like yeah. trying to right that wrong Second and chance. so he's, he's chasing and then she ends up becoming a monster that kills Jeez. him like the lesson oh, is like damn. he can't let go he can't accept Right. And then that's what destroys him in the end of the movie, you know, where she is smiling at the end of the movie, even though her husband's dead. Like she's on that boat where she's like, um, I've accepted this. You know what I mean? Like I've accepted yeah. death. So it's interesting. It's almost more like an allegorical story in a way, right? Than it is like, yeah, that these things really yeah. happen. Like that dwarf yeah. is not the serial killer, right? No, like that is like his, so. that, the dwarf is like basically his grief destroying him or manifested yeah, in, yeah. In, in a way yeah, yeah like a grotesque right. version of that grief um like he's he's basically gonna be a victim well, to that yeah hey guys spoiler alert we we did talk not spoiler at all long term <laughs> but uh we did talk about this briefly earlier there's another thing another film that we love that we covered yeah. uh was the brood Yep. And mm -hmm. the brood, you know, God bless Cronenberg. I, I think he may have seen Don't Look Now. Maybe. And, uh, you know, he <laughs> yeah. does have a lot of little little girls who have fucked up faces who are like running <laughs> yeah. around with like, like you totally. know, plastic Macs, I think they call it. Yep. And uh, but but no, but they represent literally this is very Cronenberg compared to sort of the Broke. abstraction of the book and, and, and Don't Look Now, the film. But like, you know, they are literal manifestations of the hostility the rage. Yes. Of, uh, was it the mm -hmm. mother, right? The rage. Yeah. You know? yeah. So um, he played with that theme and, and he gets away with it. It's a great scene of, uh, you know, uh, like the manifestation of, of an extreme emotion. And, and uh, I think it, I didn't realize till we, we were talking about just now, but I think it's what we're seeing is this extreme manifestation in Don't Look Now of his guilt. Yeah. yeah. Guilt. I didn't even think of that when I was just And watching. guilt is like the most ugly Holy feeling, shit. right? You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. It's, yeah. And yeah. I that I caught that moment. I didn't for whatever reason remember it, but like when Julie Christie says to him, like, 
You did, you let them play by that uh, pond. You right. let that, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh fuck! You were the one who said let the children play where they want to. You let it go near that pond. Thanks for the memories, Laura. Thank you. Like, yeah, that's damn, And he says, you know? thanks for the memories. Thanks yeah, for the memories. Yeah, yeah. It's memories, yeah. once again. It's like, you yeah. know, and so yeah. Yeah. there's a lot of it being like he can't let go. And then like right. because of that, like there it's it's like his fate is sealed. And that's what's also kind of scary about this right. film. It's it's like you want so much something else to happen right. that changes his course, but like it's almost like it's you can't move on. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 He he can't move on, and 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 she's kind of searching for a new, different way to connect with her grief yeah. through the afterlife yeah. or whatever. You know that the clairvoyance going to help her get to. But but Remy, you also mm-hmm. mentioned the fact that he's, you know, sort of like the movie shifts into this. Like in the second half, it sort of shifts into what he's telegraphing, what he's foretelling through his own visions, is actually becomes his own death. You know, that's yeah. the thing that he's having mm-hmm. visions about. I mean, he sees self-fulfilling prophecy. Self- yeah, exactly. Right. He's, he sees he sees his own funeral float by as the funeral barge. Mm-hmm. You know, in that the, moment uh, is amazing. Yeah, so, yeah. and I guess like, you What's see that? that. You see that a couple times in the movie beforehand. Like when the second watch through, you see that the boat is in the background and a few other spots too. The yeah. funeral boat. <laughs> I love yeah. that. So cool. Like I love that. It's happening. Like, boat hearse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the boat hearse. The way right. he's seeing the future is happening in his present. In the in this in a parallel way, which is yeah. just yeah. like so cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Well, yeah. can we talk about how maybe um, like there's also another you know this is Nicholas Rogue. There's another way to also interpret this. There's another layer. Let's just put it this yeah. way of um, how he's a rational Western male, not to get into a gender thing necessarily, but kind mm-hmm. of about like how he's a rational Western modern modern 20th century male. He's a scientist. I would. You know, I, I could say like a man of the sciences, you know, yeah. in his, in his profession. Sure. And he's just like, I Logic. can't even begin yeah. in my rational mind to even entertain these fanciful kind of anima, kind of female f- notions, you know, like yeah. traditionally speaking. And of course, the wife, the anima, the female in the relationship is bonding with who? Two weird females, the yeah. sisters. And he is... Um, he just doesn't he doesn't give him it a chance right. but the irony is that he as we've been saying is is as psychic as is the blind sister but uh and, and just to get back to what we were saying where it's like yeah. he's, he's told denial i think there's something about like the denial of the modern western self mm-hmm. in yeah. the form of the animus of male you know who's like den- in denial of these stranger darker stranger uh, more impossible and mysterious forces that we can't even begin to understand. Unlike the very concrete things where he's like dialing in the architectural details of, you know, the, the you know, the, the details of, um, yeah. you know, uh, uh, like, like clearly observed rational, you know, uh, pieces, measurements. Puzzle pieces. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right? Puzzle and so I yeah. think that, that, that like, and, and of course that, that with the guilt that also collapses him because he's in denial of even just meeting halfway the mysterious dark forces and just, uh, and he's already ready to be an ambassador. It's a very, yeah. it's a very yeah. strange, tragic, uh, this is, archetype. Um, like you said, mm. like on a Rogian level, there mm. is another like dimension, literally another dimension to this mm-hmm. because it is like the walkabout thing that we also had yes. talked about, like where he, Rogue was interested in that idea of the Aboriginal ideas. Yes. And yeah. we talked about dream time and in dream, dream time, time the, exactly. the idea of Aboriginal, you know, spirituality is that nothing is linear. So 
death and life are not a beginning and an end. It's a cycle right. that weaves in and out. And so yeah. there are multiple dimensions. People die, they come back in your dreams. They're still with you. Memories are, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's cool because I could see that, like him connecting to this material and, and like on a massively interesting level in that way. Totally. totally. That relates yeah. to his walkabout thread. The yeah. That's so cool. Right. And I think yeah. what well, I think an element of that that makes it more interesting is that there are all these things that are left in the film that he, he draws attention to that don't necessarily have significance, you know, yeah. but like, like if it was all just like yeah. symbolism, 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 you'd feel like exhausted by it. I think you'd be like, mm -hmm. okay, I get it. But then he <laughs> sprinkles in a lot of things that are maybe uh, like yeah, like the brooch, for instance. I was yeah, gonna say, I was gonna say I the noticed brooch. Brooch alert. The brooch. Yeah, brooch <laughs> alert. How come it yeah. always is a brooch? He did I don't know, but and then, with the brooch. No, the brooch, oh yeah. right, with the bad timing brooch. But yeah. this brooch, yeah. <laughs> yo, it was it was crazy when we were watching this earlier. You 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 were like pausing it and be like, What's up with the brooch? you know, and trying to figure <laughs> yeah. out what's going on with the brooch and it's, it's mermaid. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, like is it a moon? Is it a mermaid? What is yeah. it? Yeah. Well, Water. Yeah, there's the also mermaid. something with like when the, the dwarf uh, is like shaking her head or whatever, and then uh, it cuts to the priest in bed shaking his head, you know. Yeah. It's like, well, that it seems it's one of those things where you're like, well that might be significant, but it might not be too. It might just be like, you know Love that something not the yeah. priest thing was cool Love too. That. Like that was also a little like exorcist vibes for me too. Like yes. the idea of questioning totally. faith, which was also a mm -hmm. '70s thing totally. um, that yeah. people were talking about. Like, what is the idea of this conventional religious faith, good? and do well, I which is back that? to the old ways and the modern ways? Like I was just saying yeah. about like the yeah. two different anima and animus ways to approach things is so true yeah. you're right like why you do this to me damie in yeah, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. he's he's that. having a conflict that, that exactly crisis yeah, that, yeah. That, that, oh, this, oh, i'm glad so glad you brought this up Rami, because i was going to ask you i was going to put you to the did you pause the movie and zoom in on the book title at this moment and there's like there's a book that donald sutherland is reading oh I, did you I, pause I, it like I, I, I looked at, i did look it up i didn't know it. it was like ralph ralph Holthook i wanted to book. and i didn't have time i was like what is that and, book so okay just a little synopsis off wikipedia says uh, that he was best known for his 1963 drama the deputy which insinuates pope pius the 12th's indifference to hitler's extermination of the jews Whoa. <laughs> Damn. Fun read. So there's wow. like some religious some Amazon catholic Prime. indifference to you know yes. life and death there i guess wow. that's so right. interesting because the, the 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 whole thing of religion keeps on like pop like cropping up we're like Donald Sutherland also doesn't find comfort in religion either. Yeah. Like he doesn't because he's comfort. a thoroughly modern person. Yeah. Yeah. And the yeah, guy's not the right. priest is also isn't offering it, right? Like he he's actually has a moment where he kind of breaks down and shares with the priest, you know, like yeah. I have some problems with my kid. My, and, and the priest is basically like, You should have started with the wife story yeah. or whatever. You know, he's <laughs> yeah. annoyed with him. But doesn't he also say something about the fact like there's the idea that like having prophecies or having insight is also a curse. So like mm. there's something the priest says about like, yeah. you know, I've had, I had prophecies, mm. but it's not, I don't well, remember the words. Exactly, I, I, by the way, I think Mark is what you were just saying. I think maybe, maybe why you see a cut to the priest waking in bed is because this is a very traumatic moment on a psychic level. 
Yeah. And he having, you know, the shining, yeah. uh, you know, it's just like, whoa, something bad's happening. You know, there's a disturbance yeah. in force here. Yeah. 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 I think that he's responding to like, oh, my God, the American guy's being killed, you know, yeah. by a yeah. weird dwarf. No, you're so right. I think disturbance in the forest. Totally. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It is. No, it is. You could tell the it priest is. is kind of clued in like something wacky I, is I going think so. on. I think that's And every time like Donald Sutherland brings it up like, oh, my wife, like left and my son was sick like the priest is like something is up like you well, know he's like he's a deeper layer down kind of like with the blind sister you know is the um yes got the is shining the, is the, the priest um is the priest character in the room during the scaffolding fall is he underneath as he is right yeah i, I think thought he, he was is. Yeah. yeah he, he is. is so so and yeah, I think one, that's an omen. He's like, damn. Well, you know? yeah, it, it kind of feels like a scene out of the omen out of the for omen, a second yeah. because it's like <laughs> that's right. It's, oh my that's God. really Donald, by they the way. They totally that's ripped real, that off. That's the really omen. Donald hanging from the rope, by the way. Like, yeah, that's I, know. Scary that's I was yeah. wondering yeah. how they did that. I just assumed there was like a very large inflatable at the base. I guess no. the stunt no. guy wouldn't do it for some reason, and they only had a day in the church or something. So he was like, Donald. I noticed it was Donald. Yeah, that so, that is a very. Can we? You know, running no. out of time. Um, no, let's no. wait. Just oh, stop. Stop. No, yeah, stop. <laughs> oh, you got something? Oh no. Okay, it's just we're just running. Out of time. I'm the Evan, one yeah, who knocks. Look, I'm, I'm suggesting. Who, I'm move. suggesting. Uh, set I'm pieces. the one who moves set pieces. You mind uh, once no, in a while? Because, you know, because I know the, I have mostly bad ideas. Okay, sh- let him, let, him, let, him, let him go. No, because <laughs> the only thing on the scaffolding. The reason I brought up the priest, I just didn't get a chance to put a bow on that. Was okay. just the idea of what what what's so great about that 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 the edit like the style again works exactly to the scene as well is how long he lets that little space between when we as the audience see that board falling from the roof mm-hmm. and, and then it's literally like beat one two three four crash like it really lets the anticipation build of when that board's going to slice through that glass and i was wondering too like is that from the pov it can't be from donald because if it was then he yeah. would have snowed would've, to do something been a hint yeah but was it the priest i don't know like it's maybe we should go back and look and there's a lot know. of forces going on here there's, there's like, a lot of forces that's what's there. also interesting that moment makes you think that forces. there's forces out of anyone else's control forces. and yeah. this is preordained well, remember when the wind the, the windows open up wildly you know yes and, and, and he's like and i feel cold facing. and they oh, yeah. the windows yeah. open in the, and he closes yeah. you know yeah you know there's um, definitely vibes going it's just there. i was going to offer like that we get into set pieces you know because we're running out of time and uh this maybe shifts things a little bit back to maybe his pure technique and also to like uh how this film was sort of revolutionary for like a hollywood multiplex yeah. kind of movie yeah is the sex scene and the sex yeah, scene yeah. i think is almost equifamous to the opening scene at this point and sure. maybe i'll just read off my bullet points and you guys just go off like um it feels very real i always felt yeah. like they were actually having sex there's a thought there um, and then uh, it is I'm pretty sure this is the most graphic R-rated R-rated movie sex scene up to that time and maybe ever and without with a few cuts it was gonna be X the film and also when I first saw it as a child this film this was completely cut out of course and so mm-hmm. for many years I had no idea of this scene it was very confusing and uh, very shocking but yeah any thoughts on the sex scene and the technique yeah. employed there well, I I, the, I think the one thing about it that's, you know, we touched a little bit on at the top of the episode is this idea of like, you kind of have to establish 
with these characters that there is a strong footing or like a strong base with them. Like they, they really do love each other. And I think most other movies tend to, you know, overestimate the idea of having something like this because normally it's like you're just going to see the strife. You're going to see the bickering. You're going to see the arguments. Yeah. But the idea that these two characters really do have a foundational tenderness uh, to yes. them, I think, is very important. Yeah. Um, and especially uh, in terms of what they're collectively going through. So I think it's very smart, um, you know, on, you know, to... to, to to give us this very real life-like sex scene in the movie, I'm sure yeah, it also created some big-time buzz for the movie. But it did. I think it does have a real purpose um, in yeah. the movie and with these characters. You know, there's a closeness that. that's that's yeah. There's an intimacy. 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 I, don't, yeah. I don't think intimacy's been rendered that way on film. I think that's the no. word to describe it. Yeah. It's because it, it's yeah. not lascivious. It's not. I don't think there's anything that feels like overt like in that like kind of way like it does just feel intimate it feels like a real couple having sex yeah. I, I think the, te- the, the editing technique brings so much to it because it's cutting with them like getting dressed you know afterwards, yeah. you know and it's yeah. otherwise it would just Killer. be like five minutes of like nude you know whatever but the, the fact that it's like edited with all these familiar things she's putting her socks on or whatever and you kind of feel that that's part of the intimacy too, right? Yeah. Afterwards, brushing and teeth and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah all that right. stuff. And, <laughs> yeah. I, Domestic I a, right. life. Like sex Domestic. scenes can be hard for me in movies. Like it makes me a little uncomfortable, you know. Yeah. Like I start to get like a little cringy, yeah. and like you know. And I think that this one is done so well because I think the cross cutting really helps, like just m- make it not icky, you know. And yeah. Not, like, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, no, it's, it's not glamorized. Easy. It's yeah. not. No. You know, no. No. Um, I th- yeah, I think what Evan was saying is, is totally right. It's it's an articulation of uh, just how close this couple is, and um, yeah. uh, it's also just the frankness. It's also sort of them coming them. back together after the after the child has like this is yeah. sort of like their not makeup sex, but this is them sort of like getting back to life. Yeah. By, yeah. Mind you, this this comes after that insane seance where the blind right. woman is like grabbing her boobs. Oh, yeah. just like <laughs> yeah. Some yeah. sort of fertility kind of thing that's happening because it really kind of snaps Julie Christie out of it. And then, you know, she's able yeah. to like have this intimate yeah. moment with her partner. It I feels like wanna... their last chance to have like a sane relationship and a sane life. You know, yeah. it's like, like this is a glimpse of, of what it, them moving on would look like. Totally. Yeah. 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 Doesn't and happen. she just totally like transcends and kind of opens up and like I think also like in the in the short story she's portrayed also as even more shut down in the beginning like he needs to take her to Venice because like the doctors are like she's not functioning she's not getting out of this grief and then and then this when the switch happens with the psychics it's like she totally just like blossoms and and she's oh, the performance man. is beautiful like she's so she's it's so great. like joyful mm-hmm. and like she's like a child almost like, yeah her the way her laughter yeah. and like, yeah. yeah. Can we when, just, when what well, oh, good. Well, just real quick. Sorry. You mentioned the short story and I think we just got to say, shout out to Daphne du Maurier just for like in general that, you know, we were talking about Hitchcock being an the influence birds. in this film, <laughs> but yes, how she wrote the birds, she wrote Rebecca, you know, there's yeah. another Hitchcock She's movie. Amazing. So like he yeah. must've gone into this thinking like, all right, I'm doing a fucking Hitchcock movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I'm doing the short. Hitchcock already did three stories by this girl. So, you know, um, yeah, yeah. And the, yeah, the collection of short stories is really cool. Yeah. And there's a lot of, yeah, there's definitely a lot of Hitchcock in this for sure. It's definitely the yes. sort of like next frontier of Hitchcock uh, for sure. Um, yeah, real yeah. quick, just because the looking at the clock, seven minutes, I uh, just wanted to talk about the ending scene. Just give it a little oh, time because it's so yeah. fucking unreal. Um, oh. 
so obviously this movie kind of splinters into this crazy chase sequence here where not only you <clears throat> having you know Julie Christie running after Donald Pleasance who's running after who he believes mm. is his daughter but of course it winds up to be something much more terrifying but it that's when the movie's like for lack of a better term, sort of genre tropes kind of start to come in for a minute where you re- where it goes full gothic horror. You know, you're seeing basically the the uh, fog machine, you know, is being used mm-hmm. for the yeah. low... A- it's like for a the low- yeah, It's pretty it's cool. A, it does. Yeah. It really... Dracula. Like all, all these Dutch angles, it really looks like Mario Bava now is what we're kind of getting yeah. into, the yeah. sort of kill baby mm-hmm. kill vibes all of a sudden in this movie. And it's it's cool. Or like a giallo or Universal. Something. Yeah, it gets yeah. Yellowish, yeah. It does, yeah. And so that's a really cool look. And then, of course, it gets right to this moment of, you know, the big turnaround, the big reveal. It's not your daughter. It's this fucking scary looking four foot two person (laughs) who has got a face for (laughs) the ages. Who has who like you, you can't talk to this person like it's no. like you're not even ready for no. a conversation like she's just like <laughs> you know what i mean like like you know that that's a very terrifying thing where it's like i'm face to face with someone and they're just like you know, <laughs> it's like, so scary um, but then okay the what's her mo like what's going like, on here oh you're you have a huge knife and you're gonna kill me yeah of course. yeah right of course which is amazing and uh, but obviously this also must have been a, that scene. It's a very iconic. Obviously the ending of this movie, but it must have made a huge impression on David Lynch too. It's hard to not think about like a Mulholland Drive. There's you definitely know, Lynch. Sort of you know that's such person, a, uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. It's but such an impactful moment, such a memorable, too. impactful moment. When I mentioned it to my mom yeah. we're doing this episode, she was like, "Oh my god!" She yeah. had this movie in like thirty years or something. Oh she was wow. Like, when when the, she turns around and looks, you know, like that was the first thing she said. The so first time like, you yeah. see that, you're just like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, like it's that's a big jump scare well, for Nick. For sure. Hey, here's a tribute to Nick Rogue. It's like he's not a horror movie maker, but he made one of the big horror movie yeah. set piece moments of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was absolutely. much copied, like you were saying, you know. Yeah, no. 100%. And then can can we, Evan? Do you remember the succession of like images? I mean, go ahead. I know there's all, so all many. of them in order right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. <laughs> but it's like it's just amazing because it's like you go this. Yeah, you're just like you're. I love it. Through this you know, for me. It, it goes longer than I thought it would in a good way. Cause I was yeah. like, like it's, it, there's a point where you can, most filmmakers like maybe get away with having an abstract montage, but this one is like about five times longer than even mm-hmm. going very boldly into something like these kind of cross cutting. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes, you just take a ride. It's, it's yeah. it goes on for a while longer than I would have expected. It's yeah, it the bold style of the movie. I think is like just right. letting shots run too long, letting them, right. Letting the montage go too long. That, that that doesn't seem to be a part of their experimentation. Is let's see how long we can get away with, with this. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. And you sure. see, you see, like it, it bookends perfectly with the images from uh, the beginning yeah. of the film. And if you know you've been paying extra close attention, you really know. You know, like like the themes are coming to life at that moment. The idea that mm-hmm. you know uh, this character of John is you know, had had foretold all these things. He had seen all of them. He had premonitions about all of them. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he's bleeding out and it's gory. And But then it's also this weird thing, too, where like he, his foot is kicking through the glass of another yeah. church, which is the church that they visited in uh, more towards the beginning of the film. It's not the church that he's restoring. Don't get that okay. twisted. It's a different one. And that's where they went to sort of like kneel and say something. Light right? the Didn't candles? They, they light a candle, oh, right? Okay. And then, mm-hmm. Rami, you pointed out that you see one candle blow out in this moment that yeah. kind of is a nice yeah, little... Yeah, like, he's dead. 
like yeah. that's him. the church that his feet are kicking into that's yes. like when we see oh wow, wow. yes and yes. then when yes. they're driving by in the barge or when the funeral barge earlier julie yeah. christie says like i want to stop at that church yeah and then he's like why that know. church and she's like i don't know i want to light the candle and then like <laughs> and, and and then at the yeah, very right. end that ends up being the church that julie christie and the twins go up to you know, on the for funeral his funeral, bar. for his <laughs> right. funeral, right, right, yeah. right, and so it is kinda, all this like weird cyclical kind of. It is, yeah, and and one thing that's interesting that Rogue has said about the movie about the end of the movie is obviously after Donald Pleasance dies, there is the funeral barge as we've saw kind of forecasted earlier in the film, but we're seeing it now for real this time play out, and he's commented on that she almost delivers this kind of like. Um, I want to say like a sm- yeah, she kind of smiles at the end of the film. It's a she bit of a this, smile. It's a smile, and and he sort of said that um, he's uh, you know Nick Rogue has encouraged the interpretation of that smile to not not just f- that she feels that Christine and John are you know re- you know like united again in another world, but also mm-hmm. that she's pregnant. Um, is, oh, the, is I didn't the, think of that. Is the kind Whoa. of like uh, other Holy thing. He's put out there, yeah. Is that it's a it's a, a single mom smile. That's yeah, the <laughs> single mom smile. You know that smile. <laughs> yeah, oh so. my god! Wow, yeah. no, but that that is very intriguing. That is yeah. interesting. Well, she's well, you know, she's anima. She's life. She's still literally alive, and I think to me it looked like a smile born of like. Um, uh, kind of like a, a almost like a psychic level like wisdom you know yeah, like yeah, um, yeah. like uh he went through a thing he didn't make it but i've gone through a lot of stuff and yeah. I, i'm moving forward now she transcended yeah. all that transcended stuff. yeah exactly yeah and it's almost like a beatific moment like yes it's, yeah and they they represent like those two also the psychic woman says milton another weird point he said john milton mm, yeah. loved venice and right. it's like paradise lost you know and it's right. like heaven yeah. and hell and she's yeah. kind of in heaven and he went to hell. So. Is in hell. Wow. Is, in hell. is hell. He is <laughs> hell. That's all. Yeah. One thing we wow. didn't really touch on wow. in, in the in the uh, in the hour here as we're looking at the last minute here is this idea that there's this kind of like MacGuffin-y, Hitchcock MacGuffin concept of like a like a serial killer that's also on the loose right. in yeah. Venice and and we are seeing other bodies that are being pulled out of water. Right. I love that um, like from frenzy. Yeah, yeah, totally cool. like frenzy yeah, vibes yeah. and it's and and that's also not only just a weird thematic connection to the water cuz yeah. it, yeah, it's yeah. a nice call call and response to that as well too of pulling his daughter out of the pond death in the but water. it's just yeah death in the water but it's just yeah. uh, another element to this that just adds like just that, that keeps the the dread alive I guess and where is this going trapped in hell yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. totally yeah. terrifying and they can hear like screams throughout what's the, the dead soul of Europe if I was her I'd have the kid and move to California <laughs> and get yes. the hell out of dead Europe. I got to say something real quick. Donald Sutherland, he's wearing a wig in this movie. No. How uh, really? Uh, All right. <laughs> Give me the uh, Sutherland. Oh. oh my God. We wow. need some Sutherland. I love their curly hair. Are they yeah. both wearing wigs? Can I get the Harpo? Why? Why is he wearing a wig? You know? <laughs> I don't know. That's it wasn't weird. necessary. Are you sure? That's so nuts. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. Well, that was one fucking hour on Don't Look great movie. Now. Oh, good, um, great movie. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Great pick. Hey, we forgot to mention that this was a pick voted uh, by you, our viewers. Right. Of course, you had four flicks to choose between, and you chose this one. Don't look now as a monster, and I'm not surprised it won. Yeah. And you know, yeah, and, uh, I get I'm it. Glad we it, did it. Good call, everybody. Lot yeah, to talk about. Cool. You know, 
that Altman is becoming a Moby Dick for us. Like it is. We've never done an Altman, and we're still not wow. doing Altmans. Uh, yeah. Holy this, shit. Uh, well, all these maybe poems. we can. I love poems. Maybe we can write that wrong right now. Let's get into it. So, okay. So here's how this works. Uh, obviously, this whole summer we're doing this new gimmick on the show here, where the episode number of the show is corresponding with a particular year. So, of course, tonight was episode seventy-three. We did "Don't Look Now" from nineteen seventy-three, and you voted on the movie from seventy-three that we did. So now, next week will be nineteen seventy-four. So there's going to be four new films for you to pick from. Whatever you guys pick, whatever wins the poll, we're going to be doing. And how to vote, I'm sure you know this already, but you can go to our Instagram uh, account uh, profile at one fucking hour on Instagram. Click the stories, and if you're watching this within the first 24 hours of this episode airing, you'll be able to participate in the poll. So get up there now and do that, because as you're listening to this, it's going on. So here's the four flicks for 19, from 1974. I'll pick it right up. Uh, Robert Altman... Let's try to get it in. <laughs> so <clears throat> Robert Altman's got a flick from 1974, and it happens to be a movie that we love quite a bit here at One Fucking Hour and have really thought about doing many times before in the past, and maybe yeah. now it'll be here. But uh, it's probably, God, my number two favorite Altman flick, maybe. Three, two, three. Yeah, I absolutely love it. California Split, of course, starring uh, Elliot Gould, George Siegel, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely, fucking Tom. Oh, tell uh, us. Uh, I'm just into any movie where uh, a bunch of knuckleheads stay up all night drinking, and they just <laughs> yeah. sleep. They just they just stay up through the night and it's still <laughs> yeah. breakfast and still be drunk. Hello. And, like, and somebody has to go to work even, and they're like, "Ah, oh, fun," and they're like. <laughs> Field and stuff. That's why I like that film. It's not yeah. about gambling to me. No, totally. It's, yeah, it's about it's, like just yeah. fucked up people like uh, on the smallest rung, lowest oh, rung. Yeah. Eating and, and yeah. Yes, yes. And 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 like any good gambling uh, gambling addict film, it also has those moments of where the characters don't realize when to walk away, and um, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch. Yeah. That's some of the hardest and to watch shit in film. History. We love screaming at them. Walk away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you yeah, this is your number two, Evan. Your number one's definitely Popeye. That's right. right. No, uh, <laughs> number Dude. one is three women. Look out when we get to 78. Oh, or shit. Yeah. 1977. Yeah. Here we go. So uh, mania. Alt -ma we should do an alt mania. Nice. None of these win. We'll we do an alt mania later on. Um, we shall. So, uh, option number one: California Split will be next week, or will it be another Elliot Gould starring <laughs> performance? Yeah, baby. Nineteen seventy I mean, Elliot Gould. <laughs> yeah, because he really is one of the faces of early 70s or he's at least the, the 70s face yeah, yeah. He's, the, he's, he's the dude face of the early 70s yeah. he is. totally and he's in so many great movies of this era it's one after yeah. the other but this yeah. happens to be a little bit more on the deeper cut side for mm -hmm. uh for for y'all so i'm hoping that you might be familiar with it because if you haven't seen it i'm going to put the thumb on the scale a little bit for this one because it's a little deeper cut but it's a great fucking movie, and it's got some incredible filmmaking and set pieces. It's a it's a '70s buddy cop flick, and it is busting. Is the name of the film, mm -hmm. starring Elliot Gould and Robert Blake. It is this amazing high octane '70s 
buddy cop it's, action uh, flick. Buddy cop. It's like gross L.A. underbelly, like perfection. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like really gnarly, ugly L.A. They really they somebody knows L.A. Like whoever did the locations or something. It's totally. just so much that. But it was great to hear that you guys were all big fans of busting because yeah. I grew up with it and I was just obsessed with the soundtrack, every set piece, the very end of the film, and and of course lots of hard two scoops of ghoul just you know yeah. with yeah. ghoul on top and ghoul, ghoul on the side. Ghoul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. it ghoul is crime. Um, oh, it it's is. so much fun. Peter Yates, right? Yeah, it is a it is a gem. I don't think it's Peter Yates, is it? Oh, what am get I out of here. Forget it. I don't Never think mind. so. I don't know. Um, someone did direct it. Is it? Oh fuck! No, I someone look it did direct. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm cut it. Oh, uh, uh, it, it's Peter. It, it's Peter Hyams who did it. Of oh, course, Hyams. Right. Okay. You know the wonderful director of Outland and Time Cop and End of Days. It's that guy. Uh, okay. oh, wow. so, Everybody's favorite. <laughs> everyone's favorite. Tip of uh, everyone's tongue. Yeah, no, but it's really a gem, and we would obviously tear it up. I mean, oh. everybody was bringing up. Uh, we were talking earlier, and everyone was just like, uh, "Dude, the uh, farmers market scene, right?" You yeah, know, like, dude, it's yeah. killer, like, killer stuff. Yeah. So it's option number two like busting. is busting. That's option number two. Option number three, I know, is a Marcus fave. So tell us a little bit about Marcus. What uh, one fucking hour on sweet movie might be? Like. <laughs> I don't know. That's gonna be tough to describe. Sweet movie, Dushan Makievek. That's how I say it, anyway. It's close, I think. Uh, it's it's <clears> his, <throat> one of his major works. Uh, I also did uh, W Mystery W R Mysteries of the Organism. Very um, Eastern European, like pure art house feature film like it's mm-hmm. in the Jodorowsky range sure mm-hmm. maybe more maybe uh, even like less of a narrative thread though yeah. to like to guide yeah. you through I think so also there's some Pasolini like just some hardcore like offensive like, I can't believe this isn't a movie type thing um, lots of that yeah yep. uh, gosh oh, God. I'm right now I'm blanking one of my favorite French actors isn't it uh, Pierre uh, what's his name uh, uh Gosh, I can't remember his last name right now, but it's like this uh, French sort of art house uh, actor who uh, made a bunch Pierre of Clementi. experimental films. Clementi, yeah, Clementi. Oh yeah, uh, you know he was just he's a face for like the you know continental European art house films of the Belle early seventies. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's in it. He's immersed in a like a tub of sugar for most of the film. I think so. Um, That's right. There's a lot of that, you know, and a lot of a other lot. weird things happen in this sugar. Tub. There's a chocolate tub. There's a chocolate tub. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot There's of tubs. A, lots of nudity. Lots of, you know. There's a game show parody. Yeah. It gets scatological right. at points. Yeah. Uh, it does. You know, well, it has the, that troop. It has the uh, Auto Mules uh, material mm-hmm. action crew. Which is just, uh, it's the, they're the Gigi Allen of uh, the art world. And I'm, yeah. I'm not exaggerating. I'm before, yeah. I'm not exaggerating at all, actually. No, no. They're, they're G, they do Gigi Allen art in the 60s and 70s, and they're prominently featured in this film. Yeah. You know, That's and, great. Uh, and also it has uh, John Vernon, who was, uh, you know, yeah. from uh, uh, Point Blank. Point Blank and yeah. Animal House. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And he winds up in there. That's and, crazy. Uh, it's, it's wild. It yeah. is a really special, oh, really right. he's the principal. Really wild film. <laughs> he's the principal yeah. in, uh, in Animal House. And, yeah. and, and he was yeah. also in a film the we just did recently, right? Like the he was yeah, in a uh, film. Point Blank. Point Blank. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. right. yeah. So, uh, it's wild. It's, I, I love Sweet Movie. It's killer. Great, Even it the title is an hour to figure out what it's about, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the last shot. Anyway, I digress. We should probably just do it. 
again, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this does not. It's not the death penalty for any of these titles. No, like we're never going to return to yeah. any lose. You know, it's like uh, you know we're fishing around with yeah. movies that we're already kind of interested in, and yeah, maybe they might yeah, there we go, pop up down a few road. All right, and the last so that's option three is sweet movie. The last option is a fave of mine, a personal fave of mine. Um, and I honestly think it's one of the. Now this is a horror film, so totally different genre here that we're hitting you with. I love this movie. It's one of my favorite horror movies ever. Um, I think that if there is a subgenre to horror that is, which I call sad horror, this would be the Citizen Kane maybe of sad horror, um, and that is yeah. uh, the film Death Dream. Um, oh, Death Dream, yeah. AKA so cool. the Night. Andy came home. Is that what it's also called? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, this is a one of the first films uh, to really kind of address the PTSD of the Vietnam uh, War as well. It's kind of personified in this like zombie like movie in a way where basically one family, which is bizarrely enough played by John Marley and the other woman who starred in John Cassavetti's faces, I know. which makes That's no so sense. Weird. How the did they wind up in this film? I know. I don't know. I but don't know. There. But the leading actors from Gene Cassavetti's, Carlin. That's right. Gene Carlin and, and John Marley uh, co-star from Cassavetti's faces in this movie, death dream. They believe they've been told that their son has been killed in action in Vietnam. But then of course, a couple days later, the next day he comes home, but something's yeah. very, different and very disturbing and um it is uh it is a very effective it still packs a punch it's got some really terrifying set pieces yeah. and uh, it's, it's uh, really heavy bob, really clark. Heavy. bob yeah, clark bob clark baby clark's uh just yeah. about his first uh big effort before porkies and uh, other stuff he's an interesting director he's good yeah and it does star as we all know it's the only starring film of my high school girlfriend's father. Yes, what? I know. So weird. <laughs> so weird. It's Richard Backus. Yeah, Richard Backus. Like, look him up, oh, and wow. Richard, sweet guy, great guy, Richard Backus made this, and then he just did soap operas. You know. Yeah, after. it's wow. too bad because he's really yeah. good in this. He's I know. Really good in I this. knew Richard. And oh, yeah. And Bob happened. Clark is amazing. He also would do Black Christmas, which I also believe came out in 1974. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So um, five, I think maybe, but um, yeah. which that kind of is the first slasher. To yeah. credit him, you know? yeah. Oh, no, Bob's so, great. No, no, duh. Hello, he did fucking a Christmas story. Yeah, Bob Christmas Clark's story. cool. Bob Absolutely. Clark's really interesting. He's an interesting Absolutely. guy. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And he made them so, all in Canada too, right? It's a Canadian film. Some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah, of them. He is. I think, yeah. No, he is a Canadian filmmaker. Uh, he's sorry. very. He's very Canadian. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's very Canadian. So they all feel um, that way. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's your four. Yeah, hey, those are interesting picks, guys. Yep. You got one fucking hour on California Split. Busting or Sweet Movie or Death Dream. Those are your choices. Head over now to at one fucking hour on Instagram. Click on the stories. Vote right now and it, the choice is yours. Um, and while you're at it, you might as well sign up uh, for the Patreon. Patreon.com slash one fucking hour. Five bucks a month. You can get our Blue Velvet commentary, which is coming out soon. We've also done Psycho 98, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Who doesn't want that? <laughs> Who doesn't want a feature only commentary? On Psycho 1998. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> you can't say no to that. No, it's it was it was torture to watch, but watch it with us. Hang with us. It was fun. It's a, it's a fun time. And uh, yeah, so you can either sign up on the Patreon or you can subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, here. Both are the same benefits, same dollar amount. 
no matter what you do, you're going to get those perks. Uh, but anyway, thank you guys so much uh, for uh, hanging with us to talk Don't Look Now. And, uh, of course, we and, can't uh, let you go. Ramey, we thanks can't Thanks to let... uh, our guest. Yes. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ramey. Thank you so much for tagging in on this one. And, of course, Always a pleasure. Uh, no, it was fun. We'll, we'll see you at the next traumatic incident. Film. Next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Exactly. Happy trails to you. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If there's grief, there's Ramy. Okay. And, yes. Trauma uh, and grief. Yeah. Trauma and grief. Um, <laughs> and little right. creatures. And little demon. That's right. If there's little demon creatures in like weird, like raincoats or snowsuits, you'll be here too. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there yes, you go. Yes. So, um, all right, everybody, uh, well, have a good rest of your week. And of course, we can't leave you without your moment of zen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody, take Never care. Never gets old. Bye. We'll see you again soon. Bye. All these traits are distilled in the perfect microcosm of Rogue's work, the opening movement of his 1973 classic, Don't Look Now. If I meet anyone who doesn't think the opening of Don't Look Now is up there with the finest work British cinema ever produced. Take it easy. <laughs> no, but it, it is astonishing because very quietly you announce the premise of the film and in a very brief sequence you effectively do the film. <laughs> child goes into water, child comes out of water, father overcoming, father has premonition. None of this is in the book. It's like seven minutes in. It's like, there we go. That's the film and now... Here's the film. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. That was wicked, man.